Good to see you again. Welcome back uh, to those of you that may have been gone uh, over the holidays. Uh, it is good to be home. It's good to have you back here uh, together. Uh, if you are new today, again, welcome. We love new people at Hope. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, would love to do that today uh, as well. With the new year officially starting, I don't know about you, but there's always kind of this sense of excitement. There's a sense of anticipation uh, and energy around this type of uh, time of year where everybody's getting excited about new things that are going on and anticipating new things that are going to happen over the new year. Uh, some of you maybe, you know, fill in the blank. Some of you may say, maybe this, this will be the year that I'll finally, whatever that is for you, or this will be the year that I'll stop fill in the blank, or this will be the year that I start doing X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, there's a sense of excitement and anticipation because whether you're a, a New Year's resolution type of person or not, and maybe you are, I don't know. Anybody, how's your New Year's resolutions going? Really good? Thumbs up? Okay, some of you, three of you still keeping yours good. So uh, it's hard, right? It's hard, but regardless, we're always going to feel the need to do that because every single one of us has sort of a, a picture of who we are. We know who we are probably better than a lot of other people do. We know who we are on the inside, but then we also have a vision. We also have a picture of where we want to go in the future. If, if who we are right now, you sitting there in your seat and your current circumstances in life is you're here, every single one of us also has a there. Every single one of us has a person that we want to be and it, a vision for who we want to be. And it turns out, not just individually, but if you can use that analogy to think about where we are as a church, we have a vision for where we want to go as a church. God's not done with us yet. Lutheran Church of Hope is only 20-something years old. We're just getting started. We're a young adult, so we're growing as a church. We're getting there. But God is calling us to a future as well, and we have a resolution as a church uh, of sorts, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty dangerous goal. It's a pretty audacious, bold goal, and we've done some pretty audacious things as a church over the past few decades. If any of you are around a long time ago, you remember that one Lent where somebody had the bright idea of saying, "Hey, how about we try to feed a million people in six weeks? Because that'll work, right?" And then it did, and God did that through you, and he blew our minds with that. And then a while later, somebody had the idea of, you know, every year around February, and we're going to do this here in a few weeks, like during the Super Bowl, let's do a Super Bowl, S-O-U-P-E-R Bowl, food drive, because all the pantries get stocked up during the holidays, and then they're bare, and they're empty when it comes to February, so let's, I don't know, let's have this crazy goal of stocking every food pantry in central Iowa. And then you went and did it, and God did that through you. So we've done some pretty audacious goals of building four cabins. Well, we're going to build six. So God's done some pretty amazing things. But this year, our resolution, our theme, our goal as a church is even more audacious, even more daring, even more risky than any of those put together. Are you ready for it? You ready to hear it? Are you ready to hear it? Okay, I just didn't know because I just was wondering. Here's, here's what it is. We would love for you to be known. That's what I thought. That's the kind of reaction I thought, right? We would love for every single person at Lutheran Church of Hope to be known. And that's exactly the reaction that I thought I was getting because some of you are like, what? This is weird. What are you talking about? Like, that's, that's not a very audacious goal, John. Well, actually, if you think about it, it is. Why? Because it's so rare to be truly known. Like, who knows you? Who really 
knows you, and more than that, who do you truly know? And I'm not just talking this morning about like who do you know socially and who do you hang out with and, and who do you go get a drink with on Friday night or, or who do you see at the, the basketball court or at the game on Friday or at the movie. Who, who do you know socially? I'm talking about who really knows you. And I'm not even talking about maybe who sits next to you at worship or who you, as you're sipping your coffee, give the Lutheran nod hello to and you never have to say anything, but you just kind of do that and then you don't actually talk to each other. Who knows you? I'm not even just talking about the people that you've been in a small group with for, but happen that you be in a small group with right now. You can be in a small group for many years and not really know the people that you're talking to. As long as the conversation stays up here at the surface level. Who really knows you? Now, some of you are saying, John, come on. Like, I, I know people, right? What are, you, what are you talking about? We live in the information age. We live in the, the age of social media where everybody knows everything about everybody, right? I have 1,267 friends on Facebook, you might be saying. Like, people know me, right? I have 422 followers on Twitter. I am known. I know lots of things. Knowing about things is not the same as knowing. Knowing about somebody is not the same as knowing them. The intimacy that we're talking about, going below the surface. Think about it this way. Maybe for some of you, a, kind of a visual will help. Every single one of us has sort of two parts to who we are. There's the part that most of the world sees, kind of the external part of who we are, and then there's the internal part of who we are. It's almost like there's a part that if you think about water or the, out in the ocean, there's, there's an there's a above-the-waterline part of our lives that you can see, and then there's a below-the-waterline. And a lot of people know what's above the surface. I mean, it's not hard to find those things out about people. You probably know things about people sitting around you today, plenty of things that are above the waterline. So you know plenty of people's names. You can find that out anywhere. Maybe their job, what they do, uh, what their kids are, their kids' ages, you know, where they go to school, where they work, maybe even what their hobbies are, you know, other things that are above the waterline, you know, maybe like, I don't know, what your, your favorite sports team is, you know, just for instance, you know, just kind of thinking out loud what your favorite sports team is, just different things about people that are above the waterline, you know what I mean? So a lot of people know that. There's even fewer people, though, that know the things in your life that maybe would be considered below the waterline. Like, for instance, who knows your story? Who knows your story? I, I've been in groups of people, and I've sat in small groups before for two, three years, and then somebody just said, you know, I, I never knew that about you. <laughs> you ever had those moments? I never knew that you struggled with that. I didn't know you were going through cancer. I didn't know you were struggling financially. I didn't know that your dream was to go to grad school. So, like, what? All below the water, waterline stuff that we never known. Why are you the way you are? What are do people know your hopes? Who, who knows your dreams, what your vision is for your life? Do, do people know what you're fearful about? Do people know your, your insecurities? I probably spelled that wrong, but the things that you're fearful of? You know, it's really easy to talk about what we're good at. I talk to a lot of people, and our go-to is what we're good at, what our strengths are. You know you found a good friend when people know your weaknesses, what you're fearful about, and most importantly, why you believe what you do. Do people know what's important to you about your faith and can they encourage you in that? If you are walking with God, if you're following Jesus, that's the deepest thing about you. That's the most important thing about you and yet often it lies below the waterline. When I say who knows you, I'm talking about who knows you. 
Not everybody, right? And the 200 people here today aren't going to know you, but do you have a few people that you know? Makes me think of a time in the spirit of honesty and vulnerability. Here's your pastor that's going to be vulnerable with you this morning. It was a few years back, right after college. I remember I was going through a really difficult time, and I was struggling with kind of direction in my life, and, and uh, I was meeting with a, a mentor that also happened to be kind of a, a spiritual counselor for me, and I was telling him I was struggling in my faith. I was looking for direction. I wasn't satisfied with my job. I remember I was stressed out. I had a lot of fears and insecurities about who I was as, you know, guys in their 20s, just kind of looking for direction and purpose and who I am and self-doubt and all those things. And I, was, I came to him looking for some advice. So I kind of poured my heart out to him, and I was hoping that he'd give me some sort of, like, nugget, you know, that I could just take and some deep spiritual theological advice that would help all these things like, you know, like meditate on these words of God or, or pray more, or go to church more, read this part of the Bible or some deep spiritual truth that could kind of fix all these things. And I'll never forget after saying all of those things, he looked at me and he said, John, do you have any friends? And I said, well, I, yeah, I, well, uh, he said, well, no, you don't, clearly. Because um, if you have to think about it, you don't. You either know if you have real friends or you, you don't. And I said, why are you asking me if I have friends? I'm talking to you about, like, spiritual things. He said, yeah, I know. I said, why do you want to know, why, why do I need friends? He said, you need a few real friends. I said, why? He said, John, your most desperate need now and for the rest of your life, the root of all these things you're telling me is a desperate need to be known and accepted. And that need will never leave you, even as an adult, even as a grown-up. That need will never go away. You have a desperate need to be known and accepted. And when you get that figured out, if you have a few key friends that can remind you of that every day, Then comes that beautiful day in your life when you can stop performing and start living. When you can stop performing and start living. When you can take the mask off and become who you were born to be. And I will never forget that conversation. I remember exactly where that was. And since then, I have made it a priority in my life. Not tons, but there is a few guys that I meet with every single week, and that is one of the most important meetings that I have every week. Because they know me, and they accept me, and they also challenge me to be more than I am right now, because challenge is also a part of love. And some of us have relationships that are above the waterline with people that we consider close friends that only tell us what we want to hear. But they don't know who you truly are and what your deepest fears and your vision is for your life to grow in your faith. And so you're never going to get to these things, and they don't tell you what you need to hear. That's when you have a good friend. Proverbs talks about all of that. Do you have those types of friends? We long to be known because we were created for it, and that need never goes away. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. It's in verse 12. Now, some of you are like, 1 Corinthians 13, that's like for wedding ceremonies, right? Oh, it's much more than that. Funny that we're talking about being known, and that's what marriage is all about. But this is verse 12, and this is what Paul talks about. Let's read it nice and loud together. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully 
known. In other words, Paul says there is one truth in this life that the God that created you knows you better than you know yourself, knows you better than anybody else, and he loves and accepts you where you are, not as you should be today, just right where you are in all the not yets and the imperfections and insecurities that you have in your life. That is without a doubt not in question. What is in question, what is your choice today, is if you're going to allow that same love to come through other people, mainly the church. If you're going to have that kind of a relationship with God, the audacity to let yourself be known. You want to talk about a risky goal for 2017, something that'll get your heart pumping, something that's worth living for, something that's worth making a New Year's resolution and keeping it. It's being known and experiencing life. God doesn't want to take things from you in 2017. He wants to give you something, and it's real life. It's living, taking the mask off and, and, and stop pretending and being who he created you to be. That's worth living for, and that's why that is our theme across all of our campuses. That's what all of our sermon series are going to be pointing to is this idea, as our banner says this morning, to be known. You see the play on words there, to know and be known, because being in relationship and being in community with the church starts with the ability to love yourself. And some of you have a really hard time with that. And how do I know? Because I do. <laughs> I think we all do. We have a really hard time liking ourselves sometimes. God loves you so much that he sent his son to remind you of just how much he loves you. And he did that so that you could be thrust into a life of community. And that's where we start. Some of you are asking, okay, I want that, John, but how do I get there? Well, we start... At the beginning, a very good place to start. And yes, I just quoted the sound of music in a sermon. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you got your Bibles or uh, your iPads or your phones, whatever you got there with your Bible app, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to camp out for today. So learning about this, how do we, how do we go about being that kind of a church? Because some of you are sitting there this morning going, that's not my experience. I, I'm here, I'm sitting next to somebody, or I'm here by myself, and I don't really know if anybody knows me. Well, that's possible, and let's learn how? So we're in Acts 2. When we arrive on the scene, there's no such thing as the church yet. The fact is that a, a, few, a few days ago, Jesus just kind of came back from the dead. Like he died on a cross and then he just ruined his own funeral and came walking out of his own grave. And then before he went and ascended to heaven, he poured the power of the Holy Spirit, like his presence, into people's lives. And there's a bunch of followers, there's a bunch of people, thousands of people gathered around. And when we arrive on the scene in Acts 2, one of those followers, the leaders, the Apostle Peter stands up and he starts preaching. And the Holy Spirit's on the move and he starts sharing the good news of God's love. And we pick it up in verse 37. It says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the Apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That would be like me preaching up here and somebody runs up at the end of the sermon and says, John, I'm convicted. I'm cut to the heart. What should I do? Sign me up for Alpha. Like that would never happen. Well, maybe it would happen. That'd be cool. But that's what's happening here, right? 3,000 people came up and said, Peter, what do we do? God is doing something in my life. The Holy Spirit is moving. What do I do? And then what does Peter say? Two things. Repent and be baptized. Repent, just a fancy church word for saying if your life is headed in a certain direction, repent means turn around and go the other way. So repent and then be baptized. One of our sacraments, one of our commands from Jesus as a church. And something works because we read in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
This is probably the first and one of the largest new member classes in church history. Right there, right? Speaking of new member classes today, right? 3,000 people, right? And it's very easy to look at that and go, wow, that was amazing. Like the highlight, everything is amazing. People got baptized, people came to faith. But so often we stop reading right there. When you think of the book of Acts, when you think of the early church, it's like, wow, people believe this message about Jesus, but we don't read on to verse 42 and beyond. What happened after that? So often we stop there in our lives as well. So many of us maybe grew up in the church, or maybe you didn't, but you kind of put your faith in Jesus, or you got saved, or you made that decision, whatever terminology you use, and you're like, that's it. I'm good, right? And don't get me wrong, that is super important. Even for those of you that have been baptized, it's like, great, that's awesome. But we forget that baptism is, is, a, is a launching into a new kind of life. When we read Acts chapter 2, baptism was just the beginning. It was just the start. And they would not have even thought of being a follower of Jesus and not living it out every single day. It's almost like baptism was this catalyst. It's almost like baptism for them was like this, well, it's almost like a trampoline that, wish I had one today. Oh, wait, I do. Imagine that, that I just happen to have a trampoline behind the altar today, which every church has one, right? A trampoline that looks like it's straight out of 1984, because it is, uh, straight out of the Annenson family basement. This is the trampoline that my brother and I grew up with for 15 years. It is not new. They bought it used, but we didn't care. And we did all sorts of things on this trampoline. Trampolines were designed to launch you, right? That, that's the point of the trampoline. And my brother and I did all sorts of things and broke some bones and got some bloody noses, and it was fun in the process. But can you imagine, just for a second, that my parents got us this amazing gift and said, here, boys, here's this trampoline. Do you know how to use it? And we're like, oh, yeah, we know, how to, we know what it's for, right? And we got on the trampoline, and we went, Wow, this is incredible. This is exhilarating. What a ride. Wow. And some of you are going, that is not what a trampoline is for at all. I know. And you know what baptism is for? Baptism is to launch you into a whole new way of life, just like a trampoline is to launch you into a whole new way of life. Be, be, limiting Christianity and following Jesus to like a, a one-time decision or to say, to say well, I, I go to church once a week for an hour, but that's it. That's like getting on a trampoline and saying, wow, trampolines are awesome. You should come join me in this thing called church. It's amazing. Oh, it's just exhilarating. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the best news in the world. And somebody's going to look at you going, you are lame. And some people look at the church like that because we've limited the adventure of following Jesus to, wow, I go to a church service once in a while. Dude, this is awesome, right? 
Trampolines were meant to launch you into a brand new adventure. In other words, it's like two little boys from Story City lining that trampoline up, and if the basketball hoop on our garage is here, then we get that set just perfect so that we can get a running start in the way back from from Broad Street all the way from the street up into our driveway, and we can get a running start and jump and actually dunk on a 10-foot hoop that's actually 8 feet because we bent it down so we could dunk it. But you could run, mind you, that there is a brick wall behind that that is the garage, which amazingly, we found out, doesn't move when you hit it. You just kind of run into the brick wall. That's what a trampoline is for, is meant to launch you into new adventures, into a brand new way of life. I don't know if when you read Acts, you think about trampolines, but I do, and now that's going to be forever engraved in your memory. You're welcome, right? That's what community is for. Baptism launches you into God's family, into a brand new way of life. That's why in the early church, we pick it up and we start to see them do that. Baptism was just the beginning. There is so much more to it than that. Instead, you realize, I'm not just going to come to church. I'm going to go and be the church wherever I go. And that's what happens after they're all baptized. It's like God's people, the followers of Jesus, all jump on this one trampoline. There's like, Holy Spirit. Like, Holy Spirit's better than any trampoline you're going to find. And it's going to empower you, and it's going to launch you into a whole new way of life. And so we pick it up, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word for fellowship there is koinonia, which is deeper than just being social with each other. It's like a deeply rooted spiritual connection. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, all the believers, all The believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they met together in the temple courts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If there's some major trampolining going on here, folks, is that a word? I think I just made it up, right? There is a whole lot of that going on because they're living a brand new kind of life. I think God wants to challenge your assumptions of church. I think God wants to challenge your assumptions of community, of Showing up once in a while, that's great. That's awesome. And I'm so glad you're on the trampoline. But there's so much more to it than that. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're one of these early followers of Jesus. And you, you've spent time with Jesus over the last three years. And he, no one's ever loved you the way that he has. No one's ever forgave you the way that he has. He changed your life from the inside out. And, and then you find out he, he got crucified on a cross and then three days later he rose from the dead and he's, now he's poured his spirit into your heart and he's saying, now go, be my witnesses. He says, go and make disciples. And you are so passionate about that and you love God with all your heart and you want to go on this mission. You've been sent on this mission to go and make disciples. If I'm that person, I don't think the first thing I would think of is, well, let's have a gathering I'd be just like so focused on the mission that the gathering, that the community would be a byproduct of being focused on mission. And that hasn't changed. And so I think what I would do is I would go on that mission and I would make disciples and I would teach people and train people and pour my life into people. And then as I'm on that mission for Jesus, I would look around and I would start to see some other people on that mission too. And they would be weird. Because Christians would kind of be weird and they would stick out and they wouldn't look like everybody else. And then I would say, hey, 
I could use a little encouragement because this mission is hard and sometimes you get rejected and when you try to share your faith with people that you don't receive it back very well and, and it's hard and it's difficult. You got to get your hands messy and you got to change your schedule and your routines and get invested in people's lives. We should get together and encourage each other and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. And then some amazing things would start to happen. Like Jesus told us that if we pray for people and lay our hands on them in his name that people can actually be healed, that does still happen, you know, it's happened here. We still do that, and, and then amazing things would happen, like marriages would start to come back together, and people would overcome addictions and brokenness and be healed in lots of different ways, and, and all of a sudden, you'd want to get together with those people and say, hey, did you hear what, what God did on Wednesday afternoon? I can't wait till Sunday. Let's get together. Every day, they met in the temple in each other's homes. I wonder why, because they had so much to share about what God was doing in the mission. And maybe they even liked each other. Like, they would hang out with each other on a Friday night, which I know is crazy for church people, right? They really enjoyed it, and they needed each other. And then they would just be so thankful for what God's doing. they say, we should get together, and we should, like, make this a routine, and, and we should get together and, like, pray and thank God and, like, sing or something. We should do some songs, and then we should gather together, and we could call it, like, a, a worship service or something. I don't know. And what we find in Acts chapter 2, that being known, life together, being in community, is not an option. It's mission critical. In eight years at Hope Des Moines, what I have found is that the people that are on mission for God seven days a week, actively discipling people and pouring their lives into others, being in a group, being in community, is not an option. <laughs> It's essential. But if being in a small group or coming to worship or being a part of a church is just one more thing on your social calendar, I get it. None of us need more things to be busy. Every single one of us, I'm sure, is as busy as we want to be. You don't need one more thing to fill up your calendar. It's not that at all. It's the one thing that you build your life around. You need it. As I talk to people that have been on the journey of faith here for a while, the people that I, would, that I look up to that are mature and that are growing and have been following Jesus for a long time, I ask them, like, at a certain point, like, do you grow out of needing to be in a small group? You know, like, these are people that have been in 10, 12 small groups, couples groups, men's groups, women's groups. They've taken Alpha. They've taken Core. They've taken prayer classes. They've led mission trips and all these things. Like, at a certain point, is it sort of like a been there, done that, got the T-shirt sort of mentality? And they're like, oh, no, Pastor John, not at all. In fact, the longer I follow Jesus, the more deeper, some of you want to go deep, they say the deeper I get in my faith, the more I know that I need a community. The more I know I need a small group. Like, wow, it's essential. It's, it's mission critical. I was, thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I remember a conference I went to a couple years ago for pastors and leaders, and there was an American pastor, that a, a fairly large church, a mega church, that was interviewing a pastor from India, a, a country where, in large part, there's still a lot of persecution of Christians, and, and uh, the church is still pretty primitive and organic. They meet in huts or, or shacks or basements and th sometimes like that because they're risking their safety of being found out. And so the American pastor said, you know, we're friends, and we were driving, and he tells the story of the, the pastor from India was here in America. He was driving with me uh, to a big church conference that I was speaking at, and the pastor from India leaned over and said, so his English was a little broken, but he said, so you're going to be 
speaking at this conference, and you are pretty well-known, you are pretty famous here in, in the church in America. He said, yeah, he said, so because you're speaking, there's going to be a lot of people there, you think? He said, well, yeah, there'll be probably, you know, five, six, seven thousand people there to hear me speak. And he's saying, so people are going to come because you're speaking, and then this, this band, is gonna, this Chris Tom, Tomlin, Chris Tomlin is going to, yeah, so the people, Chris, Chris Tomlin, okay, Chris Tomlin. So the, so the Indian pastor said, so he kind of started to laugh a little bit, not at him in a condescending way, but he, he said, you're telling me that people are going to show up because you're speaking and because a band is playing. And the American pastor said, yeah, that's kind of how we do things here. And the Indian pastor kind of laughed a little bit and said, you, you Americans are so funny. He said, in India, in the church that I lead, people will walk for two, three miles no matter the weather, to get to church, to gather wherever basement or living room we're in. And people will gladly change their schedules if they hear that the church is getting together, especially especially if they get wind that Christians are getting together to pray. That is, as you call it for us, the feature presentation, he said. He said, people will come simply to be known. He said, people will come simply if they hear we're praying together, an opportunity to get together with other Christians and pray and be together. I wouldn't miss it, they say. In fact, he said, we do not have a stage. And so the feature presentation is us being together, not the preacher or the band. And I thought, I think he's on to something. There's power in community, in being known. Sometimes I've wondered in Acts 2 why it says every day they met together in the temple courts. They loved it. They wanted more. They couldn't get enough. It was the very center of their lives. Nothing else mattered. And then it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You ever wondered why that? meaning like people from outside the church were looking in, people that necessarily didn't believe in Jesus, people that were still doubting and questioning or from other religions or backgrounds were looking at the church and it was so utterly irresistible that they said, I don't even know if I believe that yet, but I want to be a part of what you guys are doing. Wouldn't that be an amazing goal for us as a church? That we would be so attractive to people outside the church that they would say, I feel so loved there. I feel so valued. I have a sense of purpose for my life. I can't stay away. I, I want to be a part of that. That was the Acts 2 church. And yet I have a feeling that for some of you, that's not your experience. When I talk about the power of community and gathering together, there's barriers, there's obstacles that get in the way. They both start with C, and the first one is conflict. Everybody say conflict. <laughs> conflict. I know. Everybody say conflict. Like, we can do this. All right, we can talk about this. So conflict. One of the things is a lot of you have got on that trampoline because you're like, I want to get involved. I want to take this beyond Sunday morning and I want to do something. So some of you have been launched into core or alpha or a small group here at Hope or you've taken a class or you've joined a team to serve and you realize what a lot of other people have realized. Christians are weird and they're annoying sometimes. And, and for some of you, you... You got let down. Somebody let you down. Somebody hurt you in some way. You, you got offended by somebody. 
You didn't have a great experience in a small group. Some ministry didn't meet your needs. Somebody let you down. And because we're nice and because we're from Iowa and we don't want to offend anybody, a lot of times what we do when we experience conflict or any of those things is we avoid it. (laughs) We go to the next small group. We go to the next church instead of entering right into it. I think about the early church. There was the church of Colossae, the church of Ephesus, the church of Rome, the church of Philippi. There wasn't 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 16th, 17th Baptist church that if you didn't like your church, you could just go to the next church, right? That's why in all these letters that Paul and Peter were writing, they're constantly saying, you can do this. Push through. Learn to love each other. Forgive each other. It's like here in Colossians 3, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Why would he have been writing that to them if they didn't need it? (laughs) And so Paul says, you are like family. Learn to bear with one another and forgive each other. That's why Paul uses this analogy of family for the church, because if you get that, you'll understand two critical things about the church. Number one, just like families, nobody's perfect. And the second thing, nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's quitting. When things get hard, when you're in a family, you don't give up. Why? Because you're family. Those of you that are, have siblings, you know this, right? Our kids are one and a half and three and a half. And one minute, they're the best of friends, and three minutes later, they are the worst enemies of each other, right? You know this if you have siblings, right? The people you love the most, you hurt the most. So why would it be any different in the church? We don't avoid it when we experience conflict. We learn to love. And for some of you, that's a barrier that God wants to work through that's below the surface, that he wants to do some work in your heart so you can learn to be family and take you through that process. But for some of you, that's the roadblock, and for some of you, the roadblock is simply this, conceding. Everybody say conceding. And when I say conceding, I mean giving up. I mean accepting the fact, as I've heard from so many people, you know what, John? This is great, and this is cute sermon and everything, but it is 2017. This is, (laughs) this type of community, I mean, is that really possible anymore? I mean, think about it, John. Like, I've heard people say, like, you know, I did that when I was younger, and, and, but now I have a family, and I have kids, and I, I'm in this rough season of life, and I didn't like the last small group that I was in, and so I'm just going to kind of cash it in and say, you know what? I don't think that's really possible anymore. Nobody sets out to do that. You sort of just drift from community, and you wake up one day, and you realize, I don't really know if I have any friends, which is back where I was at the beginning of the message. And you realize, I'm not really known by anybody. And so I'm not really learning how to forgive anybody, and I'm not learning how to trust anybody, and I'm not learning to be in relationship because I'm not in relationship. Nobody sets out to not be in community. You just sort of drift. And I can't speak for anybody else, but this week when I was praying about this message, I just felt like God say, don't give in to that. Have the courage and the audacity to fight for it, that that type of community is possible. Don't concede. Don't give up. I don't buy it because I know it's possible because I know we are created for it. And when I look in my own heart, I know that when I am in Christ-centered relationships where Jesus is the focus and we don't have to worry about offending each other, and I have people in my life that are going to challenge me, as Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, When I have those type of relationships in my life, I know that I am a better husband. And I know that I am a better father. 
And I know that I am a better pastor. I'm a better leader. And most importantly, I know that I look more like Jesus, which is the point of community, which is the point of being in relationship, is that we would look more and more like Jesus. When you're in relationship, amazing things happen. A few years ago, when we were still worshiping at our uh, elementary school over here at Hubble, we filmed some testimonies to some people that are sitting right around you here today and have been here this morning already sharing about what happened when God got a hold of their life, just like he did in the book of Acts. And he propelled them, launched them into relationship to see what God does. Let's take a look. Well, I'll take you back to 1992 before I met Jesus. I was a drug addict, um, kind of a crazy man, um, you know, really a crazy man. And then uh, I had a friend of mine that changed right before my eyes. And uh, I saw something in this guy that I wanted. It was peace. This guy, he was a lot like me. And then all of a sudden he changed and I literally asked him, I said, what is up with you? And he said, it's Jesus. So I got away from him immediately. Paul says, follow me, I'll follow Christ, follow me. So whenever I can, and I just like to um, share hope with people because there is hope. Before realizing my call as a disciple, I really knew what it meant to be a Christian here and here, but I wasn't, I wasn't using these, I wasn't serving, I wasn't um, growing as a disciple and discipling others. I know God loves me. I know other people love me. I'm in relationship with other people uh, that I truly care about because that's what God calls us to do, to be in relationship. And I didn't ever understand that. I had a lot of perfectionist tendencies, wanted to control a lot of things, made a lot of plans for my life. I was that constant worrier. My girlfriend said, have you talked to your husband about these things? I'm like, nah, he'll go along with them, right? Things happened in my marriage and that fell apart. And so my plan fell apart and I found myself going, wait a minute, I had done A, B, and C and I wasn't getting, you know, to that next step. And so I, you know, I turned back to the church and I turned back to, to prayer and to God and really started putting more of my, my faith in the future in him and I, yeah, I just saw it's just such a better place to be. I believe that God has called me to share with others that there is hope and there is a future. God is using our story. To show that broken pieces can be mended. God is using my story to witness to men with addictions. I believe God is calling me to share the love of Jesus Christ by going on Mission Navajo. God has saved me and he is using me. Through the church, we want to share God's love. And joy to people in need. God is calling me to build a thriving children's ministry. To be a better encourager to the church. To lead by faith in all of my relationships. To provide a church home for children with special needs. We're excited to raise our girls in a church family. Where they can learn, experience, and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. God is calling us. God is calling me. God is calling us. God has done some pretty incredible things in this church. And I just hear them say, God is calling me. God is calling me. Well, he's still calling. And he's calling you today. 
And I hope you heard that common thread, that common theme in every single one of those stories is relationship, relationship, relationship. They didn't do Christianity alone. You can't. It's impossible. Relationship, relationship, relationship. God is calling you. What is your next step today? For some of you, right after this service, is going to be heading up and checking out new member classes saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to put my roots down and be a part of God's family. I'm going to stop consuming church. I'm going to start being the church. For some of you, it's going to be alpha. It's going to be getting to know people. It's going back to the basics and getting a refresher on your faith and getting started, getting to know some people. Guys, for some of you, it's this men's kickoff event in a couple days and showing up and being a part of that. I heard a statistic a few years ago. They interviewed thousands of men in the church and they asked them, who knows you? Like, guys, how many real, actual friends that you have? Not just your buddies, but like, who really knows you? And they pooled all the statistics together, and they came back, and the average Christian man, this was back a few years ago, 0.7 friends. Guys, that's not even a whole person. That's not good. We got some work to do. Who challenges you? Who encourages you? What's your next step? Well, in the Acts, for, for them, they're, ne- they're like, what's our next step, Peter? And he said, you should get baptized. Okay, because that was just what you do. You come to new life in Jesus, and you want to identify with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, so you, you're going to get baptized. You're just going to do it. And so we got together, this pastor, a couple weeks ago and said, well, we're kind of preaching on baptism, and having a fresh start for this new year and getting reconnected to Jesus, like, why don't we just baptize people? So that's what we're going to do. And I'm done here in a second. We're just going to open it up to anybody that wants to come up and experience this command, this sacrament of Jesus to be baptized, to go in the water and experience new life. And we'll just have dishes of water up here. We don't have a lake and it would be very cold today, so you don't have to worry about that. But If this is new for you, baptism is simply saying, I want to be connected to Jesus. I want to restart my life. I want to get, I want to turn around. I want to get back on the right track. I want to be connected with him. I want to be known by God. And I know for some of you, baptism is just this weird thing. It's like, isn't that for babies, for adults? Well, it's for everybody. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if that's still odd for you, I was, you know, thinking about a way to... (laughs) to talk about this, that you wouldn't feel any guilt and you wouldn't feel any pressure, that it would simply be a response to what God is doing and, and kind of one of those weird things. And so what's a, what's a way I could really explain kind of this theological, spiritual truth of baptism? And so for that, we turn to Star Wars. Not the movie of Star Wars, but this kind of an offshoot little commercial that I discovered about Star Wars. And I saw that as, and the other day and I said, that's it. And as you watch this last clip about this boy that discovers the power of vulnerability, think about what it would look like for you to take off the mask and be known. Let's take a look. If I could describe to you a picture of God's dream for this church, it's that lasting image of him being able to walk in and take off the mask and be real and honest about who he is and feel the embrace 
of those around him. If we do that, if we can be those types of people, I think we're on the right track. That's the church. That's a picture of baptism. That you are welcomed into God's family, that you feel the embrace of the people that are around you here today, and most importantly, that you feel the embrace of your Father in heaven. If you have never experienced that, don't wait another day. God is calling you. God is calling you to the waters of baptism, saying, I have so much love and acceptance for you. You can stop performing, and you can start really living. It's time to take off the mask, and no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, God says, come. Come and receive that embrace. Come to the waters. No guilt, no pressure. Just God reaching out his hand to you and offering you this gift, not because of what you've done, but because of his amazing grace. And if that's not you today, that's totally fine. You can take off, but I would challenge you with this to not leave today without meeting one new person. Maybe it's somebody sitting next to you. Just want to challenge you this morning. Start the adventure of 2017 of being known and just meet the person that you're sitting next to if you haven't already. Get to know them a little bit. If you want to get baptized, come on up. There'll be plenty of room. We'll have a couple stations up here. If you need prayer, come on up for that. And if you don't have anywhere else to go, I would invite you to stick around and just cheer for people and just encourage people and let's be that type of a community that welcomes people and gives them a big old hug and says, welcome to God's family. That would be incredible. We invite you to do that. And before we do, let's pray. Let's stand together and pray. God, we thank you that uh, the church is that one place where maybe we can take the mask off and simply just be who we are, be loved and accepted by you. And God, we just thank you that you you don't leave us that way, (laughs) that you're not satisfied with where you're at, but you love us and accept us. And you say, I have so much more for you. I got big plans for your life. I have a purpose for your life. And you invite us in to be a part of your family. And so we pray right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would move that we would feel that embrace right now of being known, that no one would feel alone. God, we don't want to do church alone. We want to do life together. So would you unite us together? Would you continue to bind us together as a church that we would know one another? We thank you for the love that you've given to us, and I pray that we would take that love now and share it with the world and with the city around us full of people that so desperately need to know that they are loved and accepted by the God that created them. God, help us to take the light of your love. Now that we've come to church, I pray, God, that we would go be the church. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be hanging out up here. Come on up. God's inviting you. Come on and get baptized. God bless you. We'll see you next week.